Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, and today you're joined by a very special guest. Um, as you know, Chris Fedor is on paternity leave. If you didn't know that, that is the news. Chris became a father recently, so we are thrilled for him. Um, but today we have a very special guest, and I want to thank him tremendously for taking time out of his schedule to come talk with us today. He is Justin Rowan. He is the host of the Chase Down podcast. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be filling in for uh, for Chris today. Yeah, I mean, I, we miss him dearly, but he's out for a great reason. Enjoying time with his family, especially during the holidays, got to be a very exciting thing. So he'll be back with in no time. But it, it, it's um, a pretty understandable reason. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give him a pass for this one. <laughs> yeah, and I, like I see him tweeting about the Cavs, and I'm like, dude, I mean, I, that's awesome that you're still kind of like you know keeping focused on the Cavs, but like. The baby is more important. So we'll let him introduce the whole, the whole, the baby and, and all that stuff when he comes back to the podcast. But um, again, we appreciate you ha- coming on. And I mean, right now with the Cavs, it's just like, if you're, you're watching a skeleton crew out there with, with everything going on with the, uh, the COVID list and the COVID protocols. I thought last night, even Cavs lose last night by 10 to the Boston Celtics. I thought even last night they put up a, a nice fight against the good Boston team. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, the Cavs and Utah Jazz are the only teams that haven't lost a game by more than 15 points this season. Uh, the Golden State Warriors were in that mix, and then uh, they were basically reduced to the Santa Cruz Warriors and and lost to Toronto. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really a good effort from the Cavs. Obviously, when you're missing so many core pieces of what you do, um, you could tell that the, there are, there is some confusion on the court, miscommunications, that sort of thing that that you would expect not only for a team that's missing so many guys uh, with the health and safety protocols, but also the fact that this team hadn't played since Saturday. Um, they're used to playing six games in nine days, not having four days off. So I, I think there was some rust, but you still kind of saw that signature Cavs battle. And, and I, I thought that that was encouraging, but obviously it, it's really disappointing to have this many uh, players out. Uh, I, I thought, the game against Milwaukee where they had fewer guys out and you got to see like Lamar Stevens and, and Dean Wade alongside other rotation players. I thought that's a great opportunity for guys to get some experience, you know, get some reps. But when you have this many players out, it's hard to even make a positive impression because it's such a deviation from what you normally do. Right. And currently Cavs are at 19 and 13 on the season. And you're right. It, it is a shame to see, because it just it felt like after that Bucks game that man this team is really picking up speed like people are starting to notice like this is you know I think that's been the biggest thing this season is that 
you know, yes, we, I mean, we, I don't cover the team necessarily, but I will come after the Browns. But what I'm saying is like, I follow the team and a lot of people nationally don't. Um, mm-hmm. And now that they're starting to win, you start to get some momentum and then boom, you get hit by the COVID bug. And it's, it's unfortunate because you don't get, you don't get to see, you know, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. I mean, some of their big time players. So there's not much really they can do though, honestly, at this point. No, and, and uh, there was some news this, uh, I guess, today that uh, the health and safety protocols, there, there's going to be some adjustments uh, factoring in kind of the, the testing timelines and, and things like that. So it, it's such a tricky situation and, and it's always ever evolving. Um, I've kind of like to compartmentalize it in my head and kind of control what I can control. I, I'm kind of treating this like an injury, although I understand that there's more nuance and it's more complicated than that. Because at the end of the day, like as tempting as it is to kind of second guess um, what, what's going on and whatnot, everyone like it, like every other business, the NBA is trying to figure out the best way to manage this situation. You have a players union that's, uh, you know, voicing the the opinion and, and the views of the players and whatnot. And, and you kind of have to trust that teams and, and uh, every business right now is basically trying to make calculated risks and figure out the best way to operate. So uh, I'm glad I'm not making those decisions because uh, I'm sure there, right. there's a staggering amount of information that goes into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the NFL recently did the, uh, you know, if you test negative once, you're back in, you're out of the protocol. And if, um, you know, that's kind of the new deal, the NBA kind of maybe going in that direction to where the 10 day, you might not have to spend all 10 days on the quarantine list. We'll see. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it is difficult because you're not seeing, you're seeing, yes, you're watching basketball and that's a great thing. You're not seeing, you know, like you said, the Santa Cruz Warriors or the Cleveland yeah. Charge. You're kind of seeing a little bit of a combination um, going forward. But do you think this is something that, you know, that will ultimately affect the cat? I mean, you know, they were on such a roll before and now they get, boom, they get hit by this. Do you think this is something that'll affect them in a, say a week or two weeks, or do you think they will be kind of business as usual right after these guys get back? That's really hard to say because it is such an evolving situation. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that this is going to affect the Cavs. Like I, I think, this is something that we're seeing. It's hitting every single team. I, I don't think anyone is going to <laughs> to be immune from this, apart in the pun. Um, right. <laughs> but, you, you know, like it, it, it's a tricky situation where teams are going to have to go through a stretch where kind of you, you have to factor in some context when you're evaluating the team because there's going to be guys out. Cavs have lost some games, I, I think, as a result of uh, players being in health and safety protocols. Uh, you look even back the two previous matchups they had against Boston. They were missing Kevin Love, Laurie Markkinen for that. Uh, Evan Mobley got banged up in that game. Jared Allen I missed the second game, I believe. Like, it, it's tricky because, you know, that's a team that they could theoretically uh, down the line this season be competing to avoid a play in spot or, or uh, kind of jockeying for a position. And now you don't have that tiebreaker. Um, but you know what? Like the I guess all you really can do is bank as many wins as you can when you are healthy. Right. Like and that's why I think it's so important that the Cavs did get off to such a hot start during the toughest part of their schedule as well, which is really remarkable to look at when you look at the the youth of this team, but banking all those wins, winning those close games that came down to the wire against Toronto, um, like all of those come into effect here when, yeah, you, you lost a, a game against Boston, which you might have had a chance to win if you had everybody, but every team is going to go through this. It's going to shake out to about even, you would hope, but mm. there's no real guarantee of that. With this Cavs team, you said you said it. Uh, they got off to a tremendous, tremendous start in the toughest part of their schedule, and I think 
that's going to obviously help him down the stretch. I mean, you know, being a new guest in the podcast, I know that Chris and I have talked about it a lot, but what has been the most exciting or surprising or just the the biggest thing key for you in that, in that tour and start and where they are right now in 1913? The most surprising thing to me is the consistency. We are talking about a starting lineup with an average age under 22. You might expect kind of those high watermark performances where they go out there, they everything's clicking, uh, the, the chemistry's looking good, they're hitting shots, and they maybe pull off an upset or two. That is the normal trajectory of a team this young. But the fact that there isn't really that letdown game, as I said, one, one of two teams that haven't lost a game by more than 15 points, that is pretty remarkable, and it, it feels unprecedented. Like The only other examples of young teams doing stuff like that are looking at teams like the Warriors or, or the Thunder, uh, teams that ended up really having kind of a, a high ceiling and really mattering in this league. Um, so the, the fact that the Cavs on a night-to-night basis come out no matter who the opponent is, no matter how many difficult games and compete and win that's that's to me what is the most surprising and uh i think the greatest example of that is evan mobley you don't expect this level of consistency from a rookie you don't expect you expect maybe good for a rookie defense not all defensive team type defense from a rookie like he he's going to have a legitimate case if he plays enough games this season is he the rookie of the year in your mind thus far I think so. Uh, I, I think Scotty Barnes and now Cade Cunningham uh, are having phenomenal seasons. Uh, I, I was very high on Scotty coming into this draft, and uh, the offense is so far ahead of where I expected it to be. Uh, the defense is very good for a rookie, I, I would say, with Scotty Barnes. But there, there is a difference between what Evan Mobley is doing on the defensive end of the court, where you're now talking about him being one of the most impactful defensive players in the NBA, to Scotty Barnes, who makes good defensive plays individually uh, is really kind of a, a dynamic offensive player now already making br- brilliant passes, doing so many things like this was talked about as one of the best draft classes um, over the last few years. And, and it's really looking like that early on, e- even Jalen green, like you can see the flashes mm-hmm. with him, but those are guys that are on a more traditional uh, rookie trajectory, right? Like I, I think Cavs fans know as well as anybody, you can't, kind of make a decision on what a player is going to be after their first year. Uh, we, we have prime examples of that uh, up and down the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the the level of consistency that Evan Mobley has, his understanding of winning basketball at this age, to me, gives him the edge when you're talking about the rookie of the year, year race. I think a lot of it, too, has to do with the job that J.B. Bickerstaff has done. I mean, having these guys ready. I mean, going into the going into the season, I think it was on everybody's mind that, you know, if they didn't play well they, and things didn't go their way, J.B. And, and Kobe are looking at a very, very hot seat, you know, a fire under their butt. And yeah. I think when you look at the job that J.B. has done in getting a lot of a ton of buy-in, I mean, everyone from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster, Kevin Love, especially, that's kind of the biggest example I've seen of, of buy-in. It just seems like you know, every time I hear Kevin talk, he said, you know, he says we have defined roles. This is what we're, you know, we know what we have to do. And I think JB has done a remarkable job of that. And on top of that, I think when you have that, that's where a guy like Evan Mobley can, can prosper because he knows what he's supposed to do. He's getting coached very well. I think JB Bickerstaff has a big, big role in what this team has kind of become this season. 
I, I totally agree. I, I think JB Bickerstaff deserves a lot of credit. I think the veterans deserve a lot of credit. When you have someone like Ricky Rubio who can lead by example and off the court, I think that really helps you out. Uh, Chris mentioned this on, on the Hoops Hype podcast, but when you have someone like Kevin Love, who's a veteran, who's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame, accepting 18 to 20 minutes off the bench and coaching guys when he's off the floor, or actually on and off the floor, you, you see he's in the ear of Evan Mobley all the time and you know he he's mm-hmm. sacrificing and he's doing all these things to contribute to winning he's showing that the team comes first and when you have veterans doing that uh, Ricky Rubio coming off the bench for the first time in his career it makes it a whole lot easier for the young players to understand hey we're trying to contribute to a winning culture even Colin Sexton um, like a, a lot was made of his usage early in the season, but he was playing off ball. He was playing better defense. He was doing a lot of little things that that weren't attributed to him uh, in the first few years of his career. And when you have guys understanding that as long as I'm contributing to winning basketball and I'm doing the little things, I'm going to be rewarded. The, the Like I, I am a part of this team success. It just kind of like it creates a culture that just breeds more and more success. So for a team this young, as I said, to, to have this level of consistency and this level of buy-in is really surprising. Even an optimist like myself wouldn't have yeah. expected that. Yeah. I mean, I too am an optimi- optimist and uh, it's, it's remarkable because you're right. I mean, when you look at every player, I mean, yes, the rotation is rather small, eight, nine guys, whatever. Yeah. Um, but every one of them has a, a place in the winning culture. They have a place on the roster. They have a place on what they need to do on the floor. I think, you know, obviously the bigger examples of that are the guys off the bench, Kevin Love, uh, Ricky Rubio, and Jetty Osman, who has been, I mean, before this season we were talking about, is this a guy that gets really, I mean, he just gave them zero value. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's a guy who comes out and plays. I remember when LeBron would talk about how, um, you know, how he knew how to play the game from being overseas and how good he was going to be. And then, you didn't see it. And now we're seeing it again. I mean, what do you think the change has been there? Oh, man, I could not have been more out on Jetty Osmond. Like I, I was mm-hmm. not really factoring him into the equation. I, I yeah. was hope I was hopeful maybe someone like Dylan Windler would come and take mm-hmm. his spot in the rotation. And I do think this is the benefit of having a little more structure, right? Like when you have a backup point guard that is going to assist the people in the second plane with the second unit and get mm-hmm. them a little easier shots. When you have healthy big men, um, you no longer have Jetty Osman being forced to play a power forward out of position, right? So I, I think there was an adjustment period uh, for him last year, uh, coming off the bench for the first time in his career. Uh, another factor uh, was the fact that players from overseas they had a, a little bit of a different experience when it came to quarantine. You saw a lot of international players come in out of shape. They, they weren't able to train in the ways that they were familiar with. And there was a, a period where even stars like Luka Doncic, they needed to play their way back into shape. And for someone like Jetty Osmond, who's now coming off the bench, who uh, was inconsistent in his minutes and, and would fall out of the rotation, he didn't have that opportunity to play his way into shape. So I, I think there is a variety of factors. Obviously, having a more normal offseason, having Ricky Rubio uh, to assist in the second unit, not needing to play out of position, and also just a different level of buy-in. Like, you're seeing more defensive intensity out of him. Uh, the decision-making is better. There, There's, of course, the odd wild play or two, but you expect that with rotation guys, right? Like, uh, you, uh, the difference between bench players and starters is how consistently they play like a starter. Anyone on the bench can play like a starter in a given day, but can you do it for 82 games? I don't think that's the case with Jetty, 
but we are getting consistent uh, play or at least a boost off of the bench uh, from an energy standpoint. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Darius Garland, who has been a revelation for the Cavs. We're talking with Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Podcast. We appreciate him. Be right back. Welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined today by Justin Rowan of the Chase Down podcast. We appreciate him taking his time out of his schedule during this holiday season to join us. And um, before the break, I I kind of alluded to it with uh, Darius Garland. I mean, a guy that right now is an all-star. I would be be pretty safe to say he's an all-star. I mean, I think we all expected it, but I think it's just such a joy to watch him continue to grow. Where, Where have you seen the most growth out of Darius Garland to this point? Man, I think where the most growth that we've seen this season, like it has to be kind of the confidence, right? Like it's the level of assertiveness we're seeing because in April of last year, there he played 15 games, averaged 21 and seven. And that was a really good sign. Like he had started to show a little bit of that breakout. Uh, we, we were hoping that, hey, maybe that could become the new baseline for him. And, and I, I know on the podcast, we were talking about how it's encouraging that as he was doing that, as he was averaging 21 and seven, Sexton was having some of his best games. So you're you're seeing the growth of that tandem together. And then to start this year, unfortunately, Garland rolls his ankle three minutes into the season, misses the next two games, takes a little bit of time to come back. Uh, you had guys in out of the lineup but then after sexton went down it's a totally different dynamic because now you're talking about an nba where the rules have changed uh teams are allowed to be more physical in the paint i compared it to receivers going over the middle in the nfl if the rules changed like that uh next week and all of a sudden you could get killed if you're going over the middle it's going to take some time to adjust to that and i think you see smaller guards around the league they all had to take some time to do that i think isaac okoro struggled with that i think garland struggled with that i think sexton struggled with that the freedom of movement in the paint is just not being allowed in the same ways so there, there was that adjustment period but now with sexton out and no longer kind of drawing the best uh guard defender on the uh, opposing teams you now have that guy on garland and the fact that garland has stepped up and is performing consistently both as a scorer and as a playmaker I think he deserves a lot of credit for that because uh, navigating the rule changes, uh, navigating new types of defensive pressure, not having a outlet guy on the perimeter that can do some playmaking at the small forward or, or shooting guard positions. Um, that's that's a tricky spot for a young point guard to be in. Fortunately, he does have Evan Mobley to play off of in those situations. But with or without Mobley, Garland is showing a higher and higher baseline uh, for his play. And I, I definitely do believe that he deserves to be in that all-star conversation and uh, should be an all-star uh, this year in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be nice to have, too. I think Jared Allen obviously playing his way into the all-star yeah. game as well. I, I have, okay, we, we talked a little bit about Colin Sexton, and I've been pretty vocal about my take with Colin. And it's it's basically that I love the kid. He's a hard worker. He's talented. He's humble. He's kind. He's, he's everything you want, right? That's why they drafted mm-hmm. him, because he's a great kid. I just think that Darius might just be better without him. I just think the team might be looser without him. I don't know. It, may, it just might be me. I hate the take because I – genuinely like Colin and I want him to succeed and I want him to get paid and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Where do you, where do you stand with, you know, them playing without Colin and the way that Darius has played without Colin? Do you think it's just, you know, they're growing and and whether he's there or not, or do you think that Colin being out is just a little easier for them to kind of navigate things? 
I, I think in some ways it may have helped because it forced Garland to be in this role. I, I think we already saw that assertiveness uh, out of him. Like there were, there were flashes of it. And um, I, I think when he came back from his injury, obviously it took him a little while to get confidence in the ankle and whatnot, get the conditioning back. Um, but yeah, like in some ways it does force you um, to be more assertive when Sexton isn't out there to bail you out of possessions and whatnot, right? Like, and there was a value to what Sexton was providing there. My big thing when it came to the starting lineup was someone needs to earn it over Colin Sexton. And yeah. that ha- that has n- not occurred in the time that he's been here. He has been the best option at shooting guard. And, and I think when you're trying to develop a winning culture and whatnot, you want those internal competitions because there's enough minutes for everybody like Ricky Rubio and Jetty Osmond are basically playing starters minutes coming off the bench mm-hmm. when they play well they are going to get up to that 32 34 36 minutes right um even Kevin Love when he has a really good shooting game he's going to get starters minutes on a given night there's that internal competition every single game and when it comes to Garland and Sexton I do think that it can work together but Obviously, the dynamic has changed with him being out. There is an opportunity for Isaac Okoro to grow throughout the season, see how that works. Um, Sexton coming back from a meniscus injury, if, if he is back next year, um, it might require bringing him along a little slower. Garland, look at his rookie year. That was coming off of a meniscus surgery, and he wasn't as explosive as he was in college or as he is now, right? Like, these things do take time. Um, but I, I do think that it is something that can work. I, I don't think that Sexton was holding them back or anything along those lines. I mean, I I, I had made the point uh, before courtside fans in Memphis had uh, about how Memphis was basically, I think, 14 and two in their last 16 games without John Morant. Like you wouldn't go out and say, oh, they're better without John Morant. What you would say is hey, we found a little something once a player was out, a talented young player was out, and we might have to adapt what we're doing. And when you're talking about young, hardworking players, there might be lessons that you take from someone being out, but you don't want to give up on talent just because it makes the fit easier. Like even to start this year, Garland was standing around when Ricky Rubio had the ball. Like that tandem like uh, there was concern hey can garland play with rubio he he's never played with another point guard with the ball in his hands he's just kind of ball watching he's not assertive at all and garland was forced to develop those skills he was forced to develop a relocation game to to be more assertive off ball to seek opportunities as a spot-up player i i think you want to force players to be in uncomfortable situations and adapt their game when they are young and willing to learn so uh, i i don't think it's a straightforward thing but I, i do think moving forward it's just going to be that continuous kind of internal competition to whoever is performing the best and whoever is sacrificing to to make the team work they're going to get those opportunities yeah so i mean with isaac okoro you're right it's an opportunity for him to grow and to learn i mean colin's not coming back this year there's an opportunity he may not even come back next year given that he's a restricted free agent and you know teams can match or the Cavs can match but you never know so it's kind of it it's it's not necessarily worth talking about because it's a hypothetical you know going forward but it's just something that i've kind of noticed uh with the Cavs and Again, I, I, I think I it's worth talking about. Like, I, yeah. I think everything is right. Like, because yeah. so much of this is kind of theory and process yeah. over results and things like right. that. Right. So I, I think there is an interesting conversation to be had. I yeah. just hate when it gets reduced to, oh, they're just better without them. Right. Like, it just yeah, makes no. things simpler. Like there's there's nuance to this. And, and especially when you talk about 
a young talent that had already shown in his 11 games this year that he was willing to adapt his game and mm-hmm. only cares about winning. Like there, there's room for that on any NBA team. And if you were going to make a small guard tandem work, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley is are basically made in a lab to make yeah. a small tandem work, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, the, the triple towers, as I like to call them, you know, certainly make <laughs> things easier. For, uh, for the little guys. I mean, it's kind of fascinating, the roster construction. You take two little guards, you get three big monsters down there, seven-footers, and make it work. I mean, it's... Like, it's Utah been... makes it work. Like, uh, yeah. Mike Conley's six-foot, Donovan Mitchell is six-one, and they only have one monster out there in Rudy Gobert, and he's not able to defend in space the way that Jared Allen or Evan Mobley are. Forget no. two of them together, right? So, no. I, yeah. I think... It is disappointing because it's a lost opportunity for Colin uh, to mm-hmm. kind of provide a proof of concept, right? Like, because I, yeah. I think we're still at that stage when we're talking about this young team. Um, but I, I wouldn't be so quick to kind of write him off based on success this season. Um, I, I would expect that if he is back, that, you know what, like, we're going to find ways to make this work, uh, whether it's coming off the bench, whether uh, he recovers quickly because he's a freak uh, when it comes to rehab and the way he trains and whatnot. And he's mm-hmm. back to normal at the start of next season and uh, earns that starting opportunity back. But I, I think the main thing is I, I would expect him to be part of the Cavs future, whether it's on or off the court in a big way, because I, I don't think that this is someone that the team would just give up on. I, I think if they were to move on from Colin Sexton, it would be for another core part of the team. I, I, I have a hard time imagining him not being part of their plans. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, Kobe has made an investment. The team has made an investment in him, and I don't, I don't think they want to just, you know, let that investment ride, especially with all that they've given. As we come yeah. to a close here, Justin, I want to ask you a couple of questions about, you know, this, the future, the kind of immediate future, but like also towards the end of the season. I mean, right now the Cavaliers are at 1913, right? They're fourth yeah. in the East there. They're playing their butts off. You know, now we're dealing with the COVID thing, you know, hopefully in a week or two, that's, you know, that's out of the, uh, out of the way and you move on. Um, where do you see this team by the all-star rate? Do you see them, you know, right still at the four seed or do you see a little bit of drop off? I mean, where, where are they at come February? So I, I think in a way they are a little insulated from natural regression because even if some regression came, the schedule is getting easier. You went from the hardest schedule in the league to the lightest, right? So mm-hmm. if you have an off shooting night, you are a, you're probably more in that game than if you were playing Milwaukee. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that helps. It is tricky to kind of figure out exactly what trajectory they're on, just given the uh, the COVID situation. But I, I would expect that if they get guys back and they're reasonably healthy, that they would be able to at least stay out of that play-in position, right? Stay in those top uh, six seeds because they've changed the expectations. Like I, I was high on this team and I predicted 37 wins. I, I feel like I can't even victory lap on how good this team is because <laughs> I was so low on them relative to what they actually are. Right. And I, I think there's a really interesting thing happening with this team because of the defensive consistency that they've shown. Even when they have off offensive nights, teams struggle to kind of pull away from the Cavs. They stay in all these games. So like the game against Toronto, they had no business winning at all, but their defense was so good that it gave them an opportunity to steal at at the end. When they played Milwaukee, their sixth game in nine nights, third game, like flying every single game between those games, they weren't shooting well at all. 
but they stuck around with the defending champs who at that point had not lost a game with Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday. They stuck in that game. So I, I think they're in a really good position and they play a style, both with their defense and their ability to get to the rim and score in the paint. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have the same variance as a three-point heavy team. They, they take threes and that might determine whether or not they pull away and you have like one of those Sacramento Kings runs that they had. Right. Or, but it, it kind of eliminates the low end or, or raises the floor on a night-to-night basis. And I, I think when you play that level of consistent defense, you're going to avoid the play-in in the Eastern Conference. All right, so 37 wins is what you had him at. What do you have him at now? What's, what's the end? <laughs> I gotta You're trying to get me to be unreasonable on this year podcast. I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give you a little push t- towards the end. See, I hadn't even thought about a win total yet, and, and yeah. that's a that's a really really interesting question. Um, I would expect kind of mid to high forties. I, I think is reasonable. Uh, just kind of as understanding the situation where guys are probably going to miss a little bit of time and whatnot. Uh, I will say it's fortunate that. The COVID outbreak on the team happened when it did. You hope it would never happen, but just there's so few games uh, in the stretch. It's the one time of the year where they haven't had a lot of games. Evan Mobley gets to rest up his hip and whatnot, so that's kind of nice. Um, But just kind of understanding that, you know, we are still talking about a young team, and I would expect setbacks and and bad performances and guys to miss some time and whatnot i i I would say mid to high 40s uh would be a more reasonable expectation and that like still coming out of my mouth it doesn't feel reasonable (laughs) but you know what they have changed it like they have changed my expect they really are (laughs) and and they're not living on a prayer they're halfway there and they're not living on a prayer exactly they're halfway there and they're living in reality i mean okay so 19 and 13 i'm really bad at math but that equates to me to 32 games so they got 50 more to win like another 20 games i mean it's it's right there it's there for the taking and it's a really exciting opportunity obviously it can change uh at the trade deadline as well um that's that's going to be a tricky thing to navigate because it's hard to make a big move this year without parting from a short rotation like they they only have like as you mentioned like eight nine guys that are playing and there's no brandon knight or john henson contract on the team like there has been in the past few years right where uh, it, it's a convenient trade chip to make money work. You'd have to kind of be parting with somebody that matters. And if you're swapping a player that matters for another player, you're not really adding depth. So that that's going to be a really tricky situation for them to navigate. Uh, we'll, we'll see how they do. Uh, I, I try not to do fake trades uh, too yeah. often because, I, I mean, realistically, like if I came to you last year and I said Dante Exum in a first round pick and we're landing Jared Allen, yeah, I'm going to look like an insane person. They're, they're not going to let me out in public. Like, right, exactly. I, 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 maybe they uh, work their magic once again, but uh, it that's certainly a major factor when you're trying to figure out where this team is going to land this season is, do they find a way to add another playmaker on the perimeter? We don't know. We don't know. We will find out. But what we do know is that we appreciate you, Justin. Thank you for your time. Tell folks where they can find you. Tell folks... Um, 
plug yourself, man. This is your this is your moment. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Cavs Canada. Uh, just slap the Cavs in Canada, and you'll find me there. You can also find the Chase Down podcast wherever you got this podcast, as well as on the Cavs YouTube channel. Uh, we go live whenever Carter is available because uh, he knows how to do that production stuff, and I have absolutely no idea. I am eternally grateful for Carter. Uh, he is uh, my better half, but uh, you can find me primarily there. Well, thank you, Justin, for your time, man, and have a beautiful holiday season. We appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We will talk to you soon. Guest to be determined. Have a good one. Happy holidays. Hell yeah, dude.